Escape Pod 128 October 18, 2007 Today's story, Union Dues, Send in the Clouds, by Jeffrey R. D. Rangel. Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and today we're running the long-awaited next chapter in the Union Dues saga. I want to talk a little about Union Dues, and about superhero fiction in general. If you're a recent listener, you may not have heard the earlier stories. Union Dues is the only series of stories Escape Pod has yet run. The series part actually isn't intentional on our part. When we'd only been around for a few months, Jeffrey Durego sent us a query, saying he had several linked stories and wanted to know if we'd run them as a set. My answer was that Escape Pod doesn't do serials. He was welcome to send us whatever he wanted, one at a time, but we consider each one as an individual story. He did just that, and that's how we've bought each one, on their own merits. Since then, they've consistently been some of our most popular stories, and Jeffrey's had interest in them from other sources, which is terrific. There's been some question, as Escape Pod refocuses itself on science fiction, about whether superhero stories really qualify as science fiction. To tell you the truth, I don't have a definitive answer to that. They're mostly not SF in the sense of plausible extrapolation from known facts, but then they don't really feel like fantasy to me either. I think fundamentally they're their own kind of myth. Larger-than-life characters representing primal forces, exemplifying moral struggles on a grander scale than you or I can. That's Gilgamesh. That's Odysseus. It's older than the literary genre called fantasy. As for where they belong, well, Union Do started on Escape Pod, and it's going to continue here, and maybe other superhero stories as they come up from time to time. Just because I like them. And I hope many of you will as well. So... Today we present Union Dues Send in the Clowns by Jeffrey R. Durego. Mr. Durego lives in New Hampshire and works as an instructional designer, and he's best known at this time for his Union Dues stories here and for his movie reviews for Horror View under the alias Big McLarge Huge. He's also appeared on the Writing Show podcast for his rather vociferous opinions about self-publishing. The story is read for us by Danny Cutler, host of the Truth Seekers political podcast and of the Audio Addicts blog dedicated to radio theater and audio entertainment in all forms. If you're looking for the best audio drama out there, the links list at the Audio Addicts page is the best resource I've seen. So, with no official comment, and taking no questions from the press, it's story time. Union Dues, Send in the Clouds, by Jeffrey R. Durego. 1. I Stand Wobbly at first, but quickly steady and gasp warm air that reeks of cordite, brick dust, and ozone. The shattered, twitching remains of three prototype, mobile articulated weapons and artillery platforms smolder and crackle in the collapse center of a ruined Secula Industries factory building. My armor is intact, but my visor is cracked and spiderwebbed. Helmet is cracked as well. I tug it off and slip on a fitted eye mask. The military robots lumbered out of the test lab 35 minutes ago. They leveled half of the factory that made them, crushed an entire platoon of National Guardsmen and at least two dozen intercity cops before we were called in to bring them down. No one knows who powered the prototypes up or who loaded their Vulcan cannons and flamethrowers with ammunition. Yeah, right. 
This isn't the first time the normals have accidentally tested the Union's capabilities. Not that it matters anyway. We weren't allowed to investigate, and the government won't be in any hurry to pin blame on a corporation as big as Secular Defense Industries. We'll get a standard response from the Defense Department and GAO in two months, peppered with phrases like unfortunate accident and lapses in oversight and not liable. This time, we didn't lose anyone, though Morgana, our telepath, is down with the right side full of crushed ribs. Kindred, the Team 1 leader, broadcasts a general call for status over the command channel. Team 1, sound off. Jenny Chrome, here and okay. But I'm not. I drop to my knees and vomit as the post-battle crash washes residual adrenaline out of my system. I get nauseous worse than all the others. Kindred says I get the pukes because I have a weak constitution, a phrase that sounds especially obnoxious in her overemphasized southern accent. Megaton, here and okay except for a couple scratches. Plasmon, here and okay. Darksider, I'm coming in for pickup. Hang tight, everyone. Darksider, where the hell were you? Kindred's voice booms over the command channel. They'd have cut us down as soon as we tried to land. I'm staying with Morgana until Medivac gets here. Chrome, you handle the cleanup until I link up with y'all. I kneel there, shaking and heaving for two more minutes until the cold sweat breaks and my body doesn't feel like it's in full-blown rebellion. My black armor gel costume sports two new dents in the right side chromed plate titanium shoulder pads and a single bullet crater over my left kidney. At least the suit did its job. I snap off the hardened splash of chalky polymer with the 50 caliber bullet frozen in the center. Great. Now we'll have to pay for a fix or finance another custom suit. And my comics aren't selling for crap. No time for business now, though. Gotta wrap this mess up. Megaton, Plasmon, let's sweep the surrounding buildings and make sure there aren't any more of those machines waiting to jump us. Roger, they answer. We sweep the complex, check every standing building, and it's as clean as far as prototype robots go. We'd find a couple dozen kids and adults huddled in part of the factory warehouse converted into a daycare center. I round them up and lead them to the Red Cross triage on the periphery of the ruins. Poor kids, Megaton says. Wonder how many of them lost mom and dad today? Plasmon takes their minds off the situation by pulling quarters out of the children's ears. Even though they've just been through the most horrific fight I'd ever seen, and they'll probably ever see, the kids laugh and chirp each time a coin appears. Megaton joins in, and with a yell of, Who wants a ride on the giant's back? has three kids balanced on each shoulder. He jogs around the Red Cross trucks while the children whoop and yell, Giddy up, giant! I squeeze into the audience, and a little girl crawls into my lap. She shivers against my armor, but doesn't seem to mind that my costume makes me hard to snuggle with. What's your name, little one? Tina, she whispers. What a pretty name. I smooth her straight black hair and feel her shivering even through my gloves. The National Guardsmen clap as Megaton balances a Hummer over his head with Plasmon standing on the hood. Normals start shooting pictures of us. A news chopper swings in low over the makeshift field hospital and kicks up swirls of sand and dirt. Kindred walks right past the Red Cross triage. She stops and glares at Megaton and Plasmon's antics, then turns to me. I've seen Kindred angry before, usually after a mission as the adrenaline rush wears off. I slide Tina off my lap and stand. 
I'm only five foot three, a full seven inches shorter than Kindred, so I always have to look up under her chin when we talk. Area secure. How's Morg? Stable. Tina tugs on Kindred's bullet-tattered red cape. What kind of tricks do you do? Kindred shakes her head as if bewildered by the question. Tricks? She glances back at Megaton, who now juggles three Jersey barriers about a hundred meters out in the devastation. Let it go, Kindred. We've been through a lot. Well, that's good. So now you're free to put on a carnival. Get everyone together and onto the jet now. And I mean now. Her voice is so loud it draws everyone's attention away from the show. Megaton drops the Jersey barriers and the ground shakes. Kindred lowers herself to one knee beside the little girl. My trick is special, she says. I can make the whole circus disappear. Abracadabra. I grab her arm. You don't have to be an ass about this. She turns to Megaton and Plasmon. Get on the plane and leave them alone. Our work is done here. Kindred rips her upper arm from my fingers. Touch me again and I'll flatten you. Now put the brat down and get in the... I hit her before I even know I am. The suit batteries have plenty of charge left and the augmentation increases my force almost three times normal. Kindred careens backwards into the dust. She scrambles to her feet, clenching and unclenching her fists. She notices the crowd, and that makes her think better of hitting me back. Get on the goddamn plane. Show's over, she hisses, and brushes the dirt from her armored red tights. No one speaks for the whole ride home. Two. What in the hell were you thinking, Jenny? Darksider sits on the thick couch that dominates the tiny living room of my little slide of the Chicago Pyramid. I've been restricted to quarters for almost two days. Standard punishment for insubordination. I was doing what I thought was right. The teapot whistles. I pour boiling water into a little red porcelain pot and drop in three bags of green tea. How's Morgana? I check to make sure I have my cloth eye mask on, as the last thing I want to do is break regulations while being punished for breaking regulations. She's in the infirmary, but should be up and around in another week or so. We've got a second stringer in her spot for the time being. Let's hope we don't have to face anything serious until she's back with us. Second stringers are a liability in all but the most mundane emergencies. They get assigned almost right out of training, and we are expected to round out their real-world experience. But a superheroic isn't really a learn-on-the-job type of employment. Make even a small mistake, and people die. Now Team 1 is down by two experienced personnel. Great. You know we're at a significant strategic disadvantage. Save me the spiel, Chrome. I didn't come to chalk shop. Oh, so it's a special services thing then? Nice. If I knew you were going to eval me, I'd have studied my lines longer. Geez, you hit one team member and all hell breaks loose. Guess I won't do that again. Hit a team member? I didn't even know about that. He pauses, no doubt wondering if that little infraction should be added to my roster of offenses. If it's not that, then why am I in solitary? He looks stunned. Well, as stunned as possible under his spandex skull mask. You really don't know? He pauses and shakes his head for a second, then returns to his pre-planned dissertation. The tribunal might have looked the other way, but Kindred was adamant that you've been a problem from the get-go. And the embarrassment you caused didn't just affect her, it cast a pall over the entire union. He hands a copy of the morning newspaper over. The headline reads, Union antics dazzle crowd at factory disaster. 
The picture below the headline shows Megaton and Plasmin playing with the kids in front of the ruined Secular Industries factory. Page 2 has more of the same. No pictures of the machines, no pictures of the battle, just snapshots of us entertaining the crowd. There's even one of me with Tina sitting in my lap. This is not good press chrome. I stare for a moment, deep into Darksider's gray eyes, the only visible part of his face. So what? So this, he says, and places a thick folder onto the coffee table. The tribunal's ruling. What? I didn't even get to testify in my own goddamn defense. Just read it. I slide the file onto my lap, open it slowly, and read. Case 41234. Judgment, guilty of violation of Union Charter, Article 3, Paragraph 4. No member shall interact with normals in a manner that portrays the Union in a way that could be interpreted as caricature, parody, or satire unless such an appearance is part of the structured media event scheduled and managed by the tribunal, the luminaries, or a committee selected by said organizations. No member shall defy the established conventions or expected appearance of his or her licensed character as written or appearing in either Adam Comics or animated television programs. This is bullshit, Darksider, and you know it. I skim the rest of the summary in silence. I don't particularly like the ruling, but I understand it. You allowed us to look like fools. And that's intentional parody or satire? We were helping a bunch of traumatized kids. I slam the folder closed and hurl it across the room. Fine, so I'm suspended. Who's taking my place? Skeleton Steel is en route from Boston. Oh, yeah, he should fit in really well. Steel can't even cut the ribbon in a goddamn McBurger without a riot breaking out. Your situation has nothing at all to do with his problems, Jenny. So this is how the union handles personnel? They just shift us around when we mess up? It's easier than solving the underlying problem, right? It can't be that the charter is wrong. Oh, no. It has to be us lost in a document so complex, the average super needs a team of lawyers just to figure out how royalty payments are dispersed. But it's not the luminaries, not the tribunal. It's us, the field grunts, who have to walk this insane legal minefield. And when we step on something nasty, it's to hell with teamwork, to hell with continuity. Just put tab A into slot B and repeat as necessary. The rules aren't there to make you feel good about your job. They're there to protect everyone in the union. So when you screw up badly enough to impact everyone, the union has to protect itself. Sometimes that means the field grunts, as you put it, get the shaft. But the end result is that the union remains safe and viable. I'm sorry it has to be this way. So that's it then? Bye bye Chrome, thanks for everything? I pound my fist down on the table. It never would have gone this far as Kindred didn't shoot her mouth off. Her responsibility is to the Union, not to you. She was wrong. If I thought Kindred would have kept her backstabbing mouth shut, I'd have aimed my punch higher. What the hell is your problem? Can't you even fathom the amount of damage you could have caused? Not just to Chicago. Every Union pyramid will suffer for this. Every time they go out, there is a greater chance it will be because someone wanted cheap entertainment from cartoon characters. We are cartoon characters! I tear the armored costume from its hanger and wave it in his face. You're an embarrassment to that costume and everything it stands for. What the hell does it stand for, Darksider? Tell me, because I don't know anymore. I hurl the armor gel suit onto the tan indoor-outdoor carpet. Take it. I don't want the goddamn thing. Take it and stick it straight up your ass. Darksider slaps his fist on the wall beside the door. You're out of line. The Union took you in, trained you, made you special, gave you a purpose and an identity, and you take all that and act like a birthday party clown. 
You don't think the union can take all of that away just as fast? The union didn't make me special. I was born special. And sometimes the union makes me wish I hadn't been born. Darksider rips the door open and storms onto the hallway. Say your goodbyes. The jet takes off tomorrow morning. Three. I wander to the statue garden in the ground-level foyer. All five of the original union are here. Nova, Jim Jaguar, Patriot Paul Revere, Frida Freedom, and the Capacitor. I can't help but wonder how many times they've stood aside when people needed them just so they can maintain their image as supers rather than their image as heroes. The statues suggest otherwise, as if they were always happy and ready to serve, but I doubt even the founders of the Union could live up to the ideal they created. Chrome, Kindred, drifts into the garden. Her long red cape teases the floor behind her. Back-length fiery red hair bobs over her masked eyes. Great. I didn't feel like talking, let alone apologizing for punching her face in. She smiles a sickening, phony smile. Well... Well, what? Well, how about, thank you, Kindred, for not sending me to the village. How about that? Thanks, I answer. My mind reels backward to her standing in the rubble like some aloof goddess. My blood begins to boil. Next time, you won't get off so easy. You owe me. Easy? You and the rest of the tribunal reassigned me, but not before I get to spend three months in brainwashing and psychological counseling. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for nothing. Do you have any idea how hard we've all worked to make this vocation a thing of respect out in the world? Look at us, goddammit. We look like a circus act, but we can't be a circus act. I didn't work this hard, put my life in danger this many times, and lose this many friends so I could be a birthday party clown. Got that? I earned these tights, Jenny. I earned them with blood and broken bones and tears. I went easy on you at the tribunal, but I didn't want to. Then why didn't you? Because Megaton and Plasmin and Morgana talked me out of it, so I caved for the sake of Team One morale. She points at the others watching us from the cafeteria. But let me make this one thing crystal clear for you, Jenny Chrome. The next time, if there is a next time, I won't roll over. Got it? Save it for the four-issue limited series, Kindred Makes Empty Threats. You little bitch. Before I can even drop into a defensive stance, she lands her foot in the lower right quadrant of my chest. Without my augmented armor, my ribs take the full force of her kick and stove in, but I don't snap. I fly backwards almost five meters and crash down at the foot of the new Ultra Magna statue. An adrenaline rush takes the pain away. I scramble to my feet. Big mistake, sister. Come on, do it. I'll stomp you so bad they'll have to rinse you off my boots. The commotion draws the rest of the Chicago teams charging into the statue garden. Megaton tackles Kindred from behind and ends the fight before I can get a lick in. Darksider grabs my forearm. Don't say another word. I let him shove me towards the stairs, leading back up into the dormitories. Kindred's voice echoes up off the polished marble floor. Get off me, you oaf! Darksider releases his fingers as soon as we turn the corner into the residential corridor. Don't worry, I'll talk her down. I push past him into my room and slam the door. Four. I haven't heard a peep from anyone until this morning when Megaton shows up at the door with a tray of ham and cheese sandwiches. You need to eat, he says. 
I had only been assigned to Chicago for six months, so it's not like Megaton and I are an item, but lately he feels like the only friend I have in the whole organization. He's been a super for ten years at least, and he's almost like a mentor for me. Thanks. I take the tray and lay it on the coffee table, but I'm not hungry. And thanks for saving my bacon in the garden. Kidron would have wiped the floor with me. What's a family without a few throwdowns every now and then? She'll get over it. Kindred has a hot temper, but she doesn't hold grudges for long. He pulls a sandwich from the pile and slips his mask up enough to show his wide mouth and white teeth. Don't mind me, I figured we'd share. The Superstrongs have to eat, a lot, every couple of hours. Be my guest. Hey, can I ask you something? Sure. How do you cope? What, the food thing? It's easy, I just keep chewing like a cow does. I laugh for the first time in what feels like a month. No, I mean with the crap, the rules, the bullshit, the mistakes. He pauses for a few seconds, then swallows. It's easy. I try not to make mistakes. And for the most part, I don't give a shit about what the union wants or doesn't want from me. I just do my best to follow the rules. Sometimes that's impossible. Sometimes I get into trouble. Sometimes I don't. I'm lucky because my comics are hot, so the tribunal is reluctant to put the hammer down on one of its cash cows. He grabs another sandwich. Uh, moo? So you knew it was going to be trouble out there at the secular factory? Sure did. I'm just happy to come back with my skin intact. Can't worry about how bad things could go or we'd never get anything done. You're what, 19? Barely a first stringer, right? So look at each new situation and the new challenges it presents. Adapt, evolve, and learn. You think it was easy for any one of us when we first started? No, but I can't help feeling like we're going about it the wrong way. Like the objectives aren't clear anymore. I always thought being a super was, well, like it is in the books. But it's not, and that's a really hard realization. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. Not that I have a choice. Or maybe the union is going in the wrong direction. Maybe we aren't making the right kind of difference. He pauses for a moment. A half-chewed sandwich lulls from cheek to cheek. Then, in a flat monotone, he finishes the thought as written and buried within our brains from Verbal Contingencies for Questions from Other Union Members, Section 2, Subparagraph 4, Doubting the Mission. The union is more than just flashy costumes and public appearances. We have to live as our personalities are presented, serve as our press releases say we will serve, and do so with strength, resolve, and the knowledge that we are doing the right thing. He shakes his head. That's not what I meant to say, goddammit. It's okay. I realized too late that I probably tripped a post-hypnotic response. You know what I mean, though, right? We do what we do because it's who we are. And there, I said that with my own brain this time. So who was right, Kindred or me? You'd have played with those kids even though it violated the charter and disregarded an order from the team leader, right? He answers without hesitation and in a tone to suggest he can't believe I even asked. Those kids needed as many smiles as they could get the way I see it. Megaton grabs the last sandwich and glances at me. You know I brought these for you, right? Yes, really, I'm not hungry at all. I'll bring some more later. What time are you shipping out? Ten in the morning. He looks around the room. You haven't packed. I can help if you want. I don't have much of anything, Megaton. I'll do it tomorrow morning. Well, if you change your mind, give me a shout. I'm clumsy, but I have a strong back. He smiles again and opens the door. Thanks. And thanks. It's what we do. Megaton disappears into the corridor. I'd listened to his massive footsteps recede into the pyramid. 
I should pack everything because there's no guarantee I'll be reassigned to Chicago after my punishment. I drag a big black sea bag from the closet, the same one I use to carry all my normal life to training, and lay it across my bed. Five. I finish packing just before the alarm klaxon sounded. A stolen tractor-trailer truck filled with liquid propane speeds along the highway with at least a dozen cruisers in pursuit. It's morning rush hour and forces the truck and cops into high-speed slalom. We watch the feed from the cop chopper on the ceiling-mounted view screens. We're over the city in less than three minutes. Kindred, Megaton, and Plasmon are strapped in. No one has mentioned that I'm not supposed to be here. We've got a second stringer in for Morgana. Spoonbender is just a kid, 14, fresh from training and obviously terrified. Her face is as white as typing paper. We'll be over the scene in less than two minutes. Kindred's voice is barely audible over the scream of the jet's four unmuffled Rolls-Royce engines. Jenny, come on, we need a plan. We pick up the news chopper feed too. They aren't watching the truck anymore. They are watching us. Our jet on the screen looks like a huge crow careening through the cityscape. We bank around the Sears Tower and leave a trail of white exhaust like gossamer garland around a bare Christmas tree. No doubt marketing will pull a screen grab of that for the next set of brochures. Two Gs now. Three. Four. We push back into the seats and groan. I can't move a muscle until we level off. Brace yourselves. Darksider yanks the stick and we climb before settling 3,000 feet over the highway. How long until he runs out of road? Five minutes, maybe. Maybe. We dive through the cityscape. Concrete and steel blurs past the windows. We scream south over Interstate 90. The plane rattles and creaks against the abuse we're forcing on her decades-old airframe. Darksider flares the nose up and backthrusts the VTOL vents until we match speed with the truck below. My organs feel like they are charging out of my nostrils and eye sockets. I puke up breakfast. We all do. Oatmeal with raisins, coffee, and soggy lumps of half-digested toast. Someone punches the emergency seatbelt release and we all tumble free. The door slides open and we're there, hovering only 20 feet over the asphalt with the truck snaking from lane to lane beneath us. I cue the command channel on my gauntlet. Megaton, get the trailer off and stop safely. Kindred, secure the cab once the trailer is safe. Plasmin and Spoonbender, stand by in case they need you. Kindred shoves me aside and leaps out. She hits the top of the trailer and catches the handhold beside one of the filter hatches that line the roof. Megaton drops out next. Six cop cars with sirens on full wine roar along behind the truck so close that if one of us falls, there's no chance we won't get splattered. Megaton can't cut the trailer loose until they are away. I key plasmin. Get in contact with Intercity. Tell them to back off. Roger, he answers. The jet roars along almost beside the truck. Kindred scrambles along the top of the speeding trailer. She gets to the passenger side and leaps the gap onto the roof of the cab. The truck speeds up, but Darksider keeps pace. The wind nearly blows me out of the hatch. I can see the driver now, older man, maybe 35, brown curly hair, stocky, glasses. He's taped his left hand to the wheel. There's a sawed-off shotgun bouncing in his lap. Megaton squeezes down between the trailer and the cab. He tears out the hydraulic lines and wrenches the coupler stem out of the base. Trailer off! Don't let it go yet! I glance backwards. The cops have pulled away, but not more than a few hundred feet. Inner city won't play nice, Plasmon says. They're already protesting our involvement. You gotta shut this down quick. The driver spots Kindred and reaches for the weapon. 
He gets one blast off through the driver's door, but her armor absorbs all of the buckshot. Kendra tears the door off. She swings into the cab and kicks the shotgun out of his hand. I can't hold this trailer all day, Megaton's voice is hoarse. Stop the goddamn truck! We're still roaring along at almost 60. The truck speeds past the exit to Mercy Hospital. Now we're less than a half mile from Lake Michigan. Kindred screams, I can't get him out! She tears the driver almost off his seat, but the tape around his hand won't give. She starts to climb out onto the roof again. The truck screeches sideways along the guardrail, and the impact knocks Kindred back inside to the floor. The driver ignores Kindred for a second to yank the truck off the guardrail. He slides the jet in so close the fuselage almost touches the mirror. I grab the jump handles besides the open hatch, hurl myself out and catch the mirror and back the driver's seat. I rip the driver's hand and part of the steering wheel free, grab the collar of Kindred's armor with my free hand and smash my foot into the emergency brake button. Suddenly, I'm tumbling through open air with Kindred and the driver. The fiberglass cab shatters as the trailer punches through from the back to front using Megaton as the bumper. The trailer wheels slam into the frame and the whole tangled mess topples over and screeches to a halt only 20 feet from the exit to Lakeshore Drive. I hit the grassy median strip and tumble to a stop. Kindred rolls into the fall and comes up on her feet as gracefully as a ballerina. The driver's hand is still taped to a fragment of steering wheel. He's unconscious and probably has a few broken bones, but he's alive. I crawl up to my knees. The pukes hit me like a freight train, and I kneel there, heaving up everything but my underwear. The jet thumps down a hundred yards or so away. I wipe the last of the spittle off my chin. Kindred squats down and strokes my hair. She says, You and your weak constitution. This time her voice is genuinely warm. Megaton walks over and helps me up. Nice jump. You okay? I'll live. You? He answers. I think I broke a nail. Five news choppers circle the scene. The INN news satellite truck swerves through the debris and hasn't even fully stopped before a reporter leaps out with a cameraman in tow. Five other networks are on the scene in seconds. I'm on my feet now, but still too woozy to walk. Kindred stands with her hands on her hips like she just stepped off the cover of her comic as the cameras whirr her into focus. The reporters pepper her with questions, but the sirens and helicopters drown out almost everything. They thrust a bouquet of microphones almost under Kindred's chin. Can y'all take turns or something? I can barely understand any of you. Then it happens. The reporters all speak at just the right time, at just the right volume, and use just the right words to make a single sentence appear among the chaos. I don't hear the trigger, but I hear Kindred's answer. It's from Union Charter, Section 7, Paragraph 15, Contingencies for Dealing with Members of the Media, Subparagraph 2, The Importance of Teamwork. Our teams operate at peak efficiency and with the professionalism that people have come to associate with the union. If it were not for the dedication of my colleagues and all the personalities the union represents, the reporters are baffled because Kindred's response doesn't match up to any of their questions. The driving force behind our success is attention to detail. Every one of us who wears the costumes trains for every possible contingency. That's why we can so ably assist other civil service organizations in their time of need. Kindred rattles off five more sentences of near gibberish. I key Megaton's channel. We need a distraction. Immediately. Megaton jogs back to the wreckage and power lifts the tanker trailer off the crushed cab. I shout, 
Abracadabra. Step right up, folks. Come see the world's strongest super. I push and shove the reporters away from Kindred while pointing to Megaton. The camera operators whirl around to film Megaton slowly twirling the propane tanker over his head. I grab Kindred and tug her towards the jet. Her mind clears up only a few steps from the reporter's microphone. I look back at the wreckage and the swarm of emergency vehicles that have turned Interstate 90 into a parking lot. Everyone watches Megaton's dazzling antics. We're clear, I say over the command channel. Megaton gently puts the trailer down and poses for pictures beside the tangled truck frame. I sit beside Kindred and strap in. She's watching the chaos outside, too. Thanks, she says. For what? She taps the window and points at the reporters. Thanks for pulling me out. It's what we do. I know things haven't been good between us. I interrupt. We're even. If I've learned anything over the past two weeks, it's that we're all wrong sometimes, even when we don't mean to be. She whispers. I'll try and put things right when we get back. 6. The business with the truck extended my stay in Chicago by a full day. The driver had lost his job at the Lakeshore Propane Company a week earlier and went on a two-day whiskey binge before deciding to steal a truck and kamikaze it into a rival LP gas company. He was less than two blocks from his target when we stopped the truck. For once, Intercity mentioned on TV that without our help, there was no telling how many lives would have been lost. Kindred lifted my restriction to quarters. Last night, we all ate together. Team one on one table, team two on the other, except for Spoonbender, she sat with us. I finished off my report on the morning action just after 2 a.m. I tried to explain the post-hypnotic suggestion error, but I don't know how much good it would do. There are already rumbles that the tribunal is going to investigate the entire Chicago pyramid. Thankfully, I won't be here. My transportation waits in the hangar, and Megaton is the only one who's come to see me off. He shoulders my enormous travel bag like it's made of crepe paper as I walk to the idling jump jet. He says, I'll stow it for you. Keep in touch, okay? Megaton swings the cargo compartment on the underside of the fuselage open and gently straps my bag in place. Don't worry, Chrome. The worst part is over. Yeah. I shake his enormous hand as the passenger hatch opens. Aw, oh, come on. You know you want a hug. He reaches for me with his gigantic hands. I push them away. No, Megaton. A hug is too final. I'm going to finish this training thing and be back better than ever. You wait. Suit yourself, kid. I'll save the hug for you when you get back. But I gotta give this to you before you go. He pulls a red envelope out of his belt and hands it to me. Just a little something to remember us by. I pry the flap open and slide out a card printed on thick white paper. The cover shows a photo of five clowns on unicycles and everyone has signed the inside around the salutation that says, Good luck in Salt Lake City. I'll be back soon. I put the card back into the envelope. The rest of Team 1 has gathered on the periphery of the hangar and waves as I walk up into the jet. Darksider is at the controls. Sit up front, he says. I drop into the co-pilot seat and fasten the five-point harness. Damn good job out there yesterday. I can't remember if I said it before or not. You did, but it's nice to hear again anyway. The jet lifts off. You okay? His voice is low, almost fatherly. I nod my head as we circle into takeoff position. I probably won't be back here, will I? Don't worry too much, Jenny. The Union doesn't close a door without opening a window. We blast out of the hangar and into the bright blue mid-morning sky. I'm not angry or happy or anything other than numb because 
maybe I realize that nothing has really changed. You should be proud. We got good press from this one. Remember when you said you couldn't remember what the union stands for? I remember. Maybe this will help jog your memory. He hands me a newspaper after we level off. The headline reads, Union Saves the Day, again. I stare at the front page and see past the big, bold type. My answer is right there in black and white. But it's not text. Darksider was right. The union could take away everything that Jenny Crome ever was, just like that. Abracadabra. Underneath the headline is a group photo of the Chicago Pyramid Team 1. Kindred, Morgana, Plasmid, Megaton, and they've digitally inserted Skeleton Steel in my place. And that was our story. To me, the most chilling part of this particular story is the idea of companies embedding the right words and slogans in post-hypnotic suggestion. When I think of all the nefarious or even accidental ends, Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. All other rights are reserved. I'm sorry, what was I saying? Hey look, here's some more fiction. Here's a promo for the next podcast novel by Scott Sigler, master of the dramatically high body count. If you've had the feeling that someone is watching you, creeping up when you're not looking that something twisted is waiting for you deep in the shadows i've got good news and i've got bad news the good news is you're not crazy the bad news is scott sigler wants to kill you you could be a victim in scott's newest horror thriller nocturnal which launches at midnight eastern standard time on october 31st that's right, bitches. At the stroke of midnight on Halloween. So, you want to die? Register a profile now at scottsigler.com to win a chance to hear your name as a corpse. Fill in all the fields and don't forget your picture. Because Scott wouldn't want to kill the wrong person. Then he'd just have to kill you all. And feedback... A few weeks ago, we ran Nancy Crest's story, Endgame, about concentration taken too far. We'll start off with an audio comment from Nobilis. Hey, Steve, this is Nobilis again, calling on Endgame by Nancy Crest. I, I like the story a lot because the main character really does go through some shit. You know, because I'm always hopping on this beginning, middle, end thing. So this one kind of meets my requirements for that. But it seems like it had a really, really long beginning, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Beginnings are just as good as any other part of a book, and sometimes a long beginning is good. But I think I think it might have been a little too long. It could have dropped some words from the beginning as a part of kind of establishing what was going on. A short story shouldn't be trying to be too many different things. So I think that the whole thing could have been part of a really good novel, too. Thanks, Nobilis. If you'd like to leave feedback for us, the voicemail line is 206-666-EPOD. For the most part, this story got solid responses. Frightening was a common sentiment. Itan spoke for a few people when he said, quote, This was a very good story. I didn't exactly enjoy it, but that's more because it touched on some raw nerves in my life at the moment, and is not a reflection of the story quality. The forum thread had a lot of frank discussion about ADHD, and even touched off a running chess game. 
But the comment of the week, and I want to read more of this than I usually do, has to come from Johnny Ten. He said, The first time I heard this story was at a reading that Crest did during the Clarion Writing Workshop. It was ironic in that immediately afterward, while we were perusing the bookstore for books for her to sign, I attempted to engage some of the Clarionites in conversation. Their eyes just slid right off me. One fellow gave me a one-word answer. I remember a lass in a velvet dress lying on the floor in the bookstore. I asked her, Are you all right? She stared through me. I fancied I could see two fingers on her hand twitching to plunge into her mouth. She returned her gaze to her fellow classmate and said, She said I need to get closer to my characters. Perhaps Nancy just wrote about what was happening during her week at Clarion. Escape Pod is a production. Oh wait, I did that part already. If you do like what you've heard here, I freely and consciously hope that you'll tell a friend or blog about us, and if you can, consider donating a few bucks via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org, and you can buy collectible CDs from us at poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju, writing the action movie soundtrack for your soul at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from fantasy author Peter S. Beagle, who said, Heroes know that things must happen when it is time for them to happen. A quest may not simply be abandoned. Unicorns may go unrescued for a long time, but not forever. A happy ending cannot come in the middle of the story. We'll see you next week. Have fun, 